You're listening to the DNB Supply Show podcast, your number one resource for living the country lifestyle. This is your host, Matt Breckwald, coming to you from my place in the country to yours. Well, hello, everybody, and welcome back to the D&B Supply Radio Show. This is your host, Matt Breckwald, and thank you so much for joining us here again today. Well, we get to do something really cool today, and we are going to profile a local farmer that I happen to know from the Treasure Valley of Idaho, and we're going to talk about a model of farming that I think is really possible, especially all across the West, where we're seeing so many people moving in and seeing larger farms getting split up into smaller farms and a lot of people that want some ground but don't necessarily want to farm and they've got five or ten or two or three or whatever it may be acres sitting there waiting for somebody to do something with it put animals on it or something like that and I think there's a really interesting model out there where somebody who wants to farm but isn't in a position to go buy the land they need to farm can actually get started and do quite well and so today we're going to be interviewing a young man named Caleb Pierce, who I've known for several years, and you're going to hear his story. And aside from being just an amazing farmer and an amazing young man, he really demonstrates how this model can work. So we'll have that coming up for you here in just a moment. Caleb, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for coming on today. Thank you for having me. Hey, you bet. It's always a pleasure to speak with you and see you and your and your mom or your dad or whoever happens to, to bring you out to speak with me. But uh, I love staying updated on what you're doing because it's been such an impressive thing to watch all along the way. What I'd like to do is I'd like to start off just by having you introduce yourself to our audience just a little bit. Just tell us a little bit about you, where you live, how old you are, and all of that. Yeah, absolutely. So my name is Caleb Pierce. I'm 18 years old, live in Meridian, Idaho, and I raise Katahdin hair sheep, um, raise them for meat and breeding stock, raise them all natural and been selling breeding stock across the Northwest and then sell meat here locally. So you're selling meat locally and now you're expanding out into uh, seed stock for other people. Yeah, absolutely. Your story is really unique and we're going to get into that, but you live just on the South part of Meridian. Yes. Right? And I mean, technically a subdivision, although your neighbors and, and your family, you all have a little bit of acreage. Yes. So right? we have about an acre and a half, and then most of our neighbors have around five acres. Around five acres. Okay. Which that is significant. That's going to come into <laughs> this discussion coming up. So are you within the Meridian City limits where you live? We're just outside. Just yes. outside. Okay. Yeah. And all of that, I you know, we're profiling you and what you've been able to do on small acreage. And I do think there's something out there for people who want to raise livestock. And I think you're proving it to everybody. And so I, I talk about this all the time, both on this show and on uh, my other podcast. And I always, I always say that there's a market out there for people who can go out with neighbors with small acreage and start using that and they can compile acreage together and really build a business, which you have done. But the amazing part with you is I think when we met, you were, well, we met in 2012. Yeah. So that's six years ago. So you were 12 years old. Yes. And that's when you were getting started. Yeah. And uh, man, you know, you make me jealous as a farmer. So I always have to interview you and find out what's going on. So we'll, we'll jump into that here coming up in a minute, but just thrilled to be able to profile you for everybody and, and demonstrate what is possible. So along those same lines, how long have you been farming? What would you say the time span is for you now? Yeah. So I've been raising lambs for six years. Um, we moved out to our place seven years ago, but been only raising the lambs for six years. So, okay. Yeah. And when we met, we met my wife and I met you and your sister and your whole family at a class called Living on the Land that was put on by the University of Idaho Extension over in Caldwell. Yeah. 
And so your family, you had all just purchased that ground at that point. And just like we had just done in 2011 with our farm, we came into it knowing quite a bit about cattle and a whole little, not very much about everything else. So that's why we wanted to take the class. And I'm assuming it was kind of the same for all of you. Yeah. So we started basically not really knowing anything about agriculture and we just kind of wanted to to try it. I'd always liked animals, wanted to try to the agriculture side of things. And so we moved out there and just kind of jumped in head first and mm-hmm. been learning ever since. Yeah, I remember we all kind of got to know each other back then. We all talked about uh, the different headaches and the stressors on our properties and things like that. But you and your sister were the only two kids in the class and you came to every class with your parents. And then it came time where everybody had to give a presentation and talk about what their vision was for their property and what they wanted to do. And uh, you and your sister, and you need to give a shout out to your sister. uh, We don't want to leave her out, but you all gave the presentation for your family. Yeah. Yeah. It was a lot of fun working together on doing those presentations and kind of coming up with what we wanted it to look like. And so it was just kind of fun working with her and the rest of the family, just kind of coming up with our plans. Tell everybody her name so we make sure to include her. So her name is Hannah Pierce. Okay. Yes. Now you guys got up there and you gave this presentation and I, and my wife too, and I think everybody else was blown away by how well uh, these two, uh, this young man, this young lady did. Uh, You were 12 at the time. How old was Hannah? 12. She was 12. Are you twins? Yes. Okay. (laughs) So your twin sister, you guys did fantastic. You did a really great job. As a matter of fact, I think I had already given my presentation and I went... Maybe I should have put a little more preparation into mine. So you guys did a really, really good job. And I can remember thinking back then, I think back at that point in time, you guys had the acre and a half that you had bought and that was what you were limited to. And you had ideas for what you were going to do with that acre and a half, right? Yes. And I remember you saying that you were going to do some super intensive rotational grazing with sheep, like moving them like every three or four hours or something like that. Do I remember that correctly? Yes. That was the original start out plan. And, uh, We've since adjusted that to about every half a day to a whole day. But yes, okay. that was the original plan. Okay. So you've dialed it in. Now, how did this interest get started? Why did you and your family decide to move to a spot with property and what got you interested in wanting to farm it? Yeah. So ever since I was really little, I've always loved animals. And so that was kind of one of the main things was I just wanted to, to try raising farm animals. And then we had some friends that also were involved in agriculture and um, got to know them pretty well. And so really wanted to kind of try out the farming thing. Mm-hmm. And so my sister wanted to try sheep and I wanted to try cattle. And so we, we started with the sheep because we were kind of small acreage and I loved him so much, I, I stuck with him. Stuck with him. Okay. <laughs> now, is Hannah, is she farming with you anymore? Nope. I bought her portion of the business. And- so she has moved on to, uh, for her, greener pastures, if you'll allow me the pun. Yes. <laughs> okay. Very good. Okay. So when you first started out, we all know now that you started with an acre and a half. How many animals did you initially start with? Two ewes and two meat lambs. Two so, ewes and two meat lambs. So I had one, one ewe lamb. That was the start. Okay. And what was your support system when you were doing this? So as far as like like infrastructure goes, just kind of, we built the infrastructure as far as financial support, obviously my parents helped out Mm -hmm. a lot with that. And then as I continued to grow it, I just basically took all the money I earned from the sheep business, as well as Christmas money, birthday money, Mm -hmm. side jobs, and kind of poured that all into building the business. Now, did anybody in your family have experience raising livestock or farming when this all began? Nope. Okay. Nothing. <laughs> so from scratch. Yes, absolutely. Well, I'll tell you what, let's take our first commercial break. And when we come back, I want to dive in deeper to what you've been able to do. And then I want to be able to illustrate to everybody how this is possible 
in a kind of a suburban area to be able to do what you've done. Say you were to ride off into the sunset. Ideally, what kind of boots and clothes would you be wearing? For horseback riders of all styles, nothing beats the look and performance of Ariat. Available at DMB Supply. Everyone from famous rodeo cowboys to country music legends to equestrian Olympians. Turn to Ariat with confidence. You can count on them too. Think of Ariat as your ultimate riding companion for the life and times in the West. When you need to better outfit your ride with Ariat, stop by your favorite DMB Supply. Are you ready for a steal? Then stop by DNB to pick up steel power tools. German engineered, these power players offer quality that never quits. Like the Steel MS-271 Farm Boss Chainsaw. Available for just $429.95 with a 20-inch bar and chain. Show your project list who's boss and leave it in your sawdust. With legendary chainsaws, dependable trimmers, forceful blowers, and epic tools of the trade, steel powers through anything. Grab a steel at your favorite D&B supply. Okay, Caleb. Now that we're back, let's get deeper into this. So you started out, nobody in the family had any experience but you had this desire. Obviously, you had the support system of your family. They were willing to move, to relocate, to help facilitate this thing that you'd been interested in and, and so long. And had Hannah been interested in with you or was she coming along with you? Yeah, so we were both interested in it. Okay. Um, I think I was the one that was probably the most interested, but she was definitely interested as well. So how did you go about learning the things that you needed to know when you when you first decided to do this and boom, here's the opportunity to do it, try it out. How did you go about learning the things you needed to know? Well, so I think first of all, I think the living on the land class was really helpful. I'm just kind of looking at every resource possible, asking different friends that were into agriculture and had been farming for a while for their experience. And then reading books, looking at websites, research Mm -hmm. um, was a lot of how we learned. And then probably a very big portion was just hands-on experience. Sure. (laughs) Doing things twice. That's kind of... Yeah, there's no substitute for that. (laughs) Now, were there any particular books that stand out to you that uh, you think back on today and you go, wow, that was really valuable to me? Yeah. So there was um, the Management Intensive Grazing book by Jim Garrish. That Mm -hmm. one was really helpful, the grassroots of grass farming. And then another one was Natural Sheep Care by, I think it was Pat Colby. That was another helpful book. And then the Breed Association for Katahdins, they put out a quarterly publication for all the members that typically has several articles. And so mm-hmm. I would read through those and reread through those and reread through those. And <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> yeah. So just kind of learning a lot that way. How did you choose the Katahdin breed? Yeah. So we were kind of going back and forth between Katahdins and one other breed and really the hair side of the breed really stood out to where we don't have to shear them. And that was one of the major okay. deciding reasons. And then as I've kind of gotten to really experience Katahdin's more of just, there's been a lot of things that have been really beneficial to the breed that I've really enjoyed as I've compared them with other breeds. So one step at a time, we don't need to start shearing sheep. We're just enough just to raise them when we're first starting out. <laughs> yep. Okay. Oh, very good. Now, did you have any hard lessons when you were first starting out that, uh, I mean, everybody goes through it. Did you have any of those? Yeah. So just starting out, it was kind of funny because our first few years, just having a few sheep, I think for one, you kind of watch them a little bit more, but for two, we just kind of didn't really know what we were doing. And so we would have these little things come up and we would call the guy that we got our sheep from and Mm -hmm. be like, well, we have this going on. And he'd be like, huh, I've never had that happen before. (laughs) And that happened about five to 10 times. And after a while, we kind of got to learn a little bit more about them. And those are probably the harder lessons was just trying to kind of figure out what was normal and what wasn't. But it didn't have too many um, big losses or anything. Now, the last time we spoke, you were raising poultry as well. 
Yes. Is that something you're still doing? I am not currently doing that. I, I've considered going back into that. Um, i kind of been focusing my efforts mainly on the sheep. Okay. Yeah. And as we'll all find out here in a little while, you're becoming very specialized. And so you are focusing exclusively on sheep. Pretty much. Okay. Yeah. Now, when this all began, what was your business model when you first started out and you, you had that first opportunity to start generating some revenue from what you were doing? What was your business model? Yeah. So the goal is just kind of to, to raise meat lambs and to just sell to other people by word of mouth. Kind of almost stumbled across the idea that it could be profitable. Um, <laughs> the plan was just to have a couple sheep in the backyard and that was about it. And then through a series of circumstances, I bought a weather and then raised it for a few months and sold it and made a little bit of money off of that and thought, oh, this is kind of fun. I could sure. do that some more. Okay. <laughs> so, and then just tried to kind of build that. And then eventually that grew into kind of a desire to sell breeding stock. So you, you bought that weather, you mm-hmm. made money on it. And then all of a sudden it dawns on you that if I made money on this one, I just need to figure out how to replicate this over and over and over and keep making money on them. Yeah. Okay. So how did you find that first customer? So it was actually a friend from my dad's work that uh, he was telling about the sheep and they're like, oh, we'd like to have some lamb. And so, um, yeah. So a a little word of mouth, kind of using that, uh, those resources you had available for your networking right there at the beginning as you're getting going and you're kind of getting your feet under you and learning all about this. Yes. Okay. Very cool. Now, how long was it before you leased your first piece of ground from one of your neighbors? It would have been two years after I bought my first, after we got our first lamb. So it was 2014 when I started. And so how did that come about? What led to that? Um, so I kind of wanted to grow the sheep business and keep back some lambs for breeding stock to kind of build the business. And so in order to get more pasture, because we only had about half acre to three quarters of an acre in pasture, um, asked some neighbors that weren't currently using their property if, if they would be willing to let me use it, turn it into pasture mm-hmm. and, and get it growing and put the sheep out there. So you approached them, mm-hmm. but they weren't even irrigating that ground at that time. Um, one of the fields was not currently being irrigated. Uh, another one was purchased just a few months before mm-hmm. I asked. And so, yeah. And so did you have to put in an irrigation system? What all did you have to do to get this lease up and going? Yeah. So the field that wasn't being irrigated planted that and did all the soil work, put in the flood irrigation corrugates and all that, um, and then put in the grass seed and got that pasture started from the kind of from the ground up. The other field was currently in grass, but Mm -hmm. hadn't really been managed for about 10 years. So the watering was kind of off and on, Mm -hmm. mowed fairly inconsistently. And so there were actually a lot of toxic weeds that had taken over most of the pasture. Mm -hmm. And the soil was so poor from just nothing being put into it Mm -hmm. that like to give an example, I put down some grass seed on one portion to try to get some good pasture growing. And it took two years before it actually started growing. Oh, wow. Um, just because it, it couldn't start for at least a year and a half until it got the soil to a point where it could actually produce something. And did you have to put in fencing or anything like that on these pieces of property? No. So, yeah. So, so they were fenced. Um, one of them was fenced. And the other one, I took my portable electric netting and okay. portable solar energizer and moved them around. So, Well, let's take another break. And when we come back, I want to tell everybody my theory. And then I'm going to prove it through what you've been able to do. Okay? Okay. Why am I wearing a lab coat and standing in your lawn? Because I'm a bare advanced lawn care scientist. And I'm about to revolutionize the way you control lawn weeds. 
Because with Bear Advanced season-long weed control for lawns, you get the only spray that kills listed broadleaf lawn weeds, then creates a barrier below to prevent new weeds for up to six months. One application is all it takes. Count on Bear Advanced to put revolutionary science right in your hands. Get more from the Blue Bottle. Always read and follow label instructions. We love George Strait for more than his music. After 56 number one singles, George is still a family man and a real cowboy. That's why we love him, and that's why he wears nothing but Wrangler. The George Strait Cowboy Cut Collection by Wrangler has a huge selection of styles a cowboy can be comfortable wearing anywhere. So head to your favorite D&B supply and try the George Strait Cowboy Cut Collection by Wrangler. Long live cowboys. All right. Well, Caleb, I, I want to explain what my theory about this has always been. And, and you're doing exactly what I've theorized as possible. But that is, you know, there are plenty of people out there all throughout the West uh, who would like to farm, but they have to work and they can't necessarily go out and purchase a farm right now. So in order to do that, we've got to get creative. And, and I've always thought that in an area like where we live in the Treasure Valley here, which is growing by leaps and bounds, and farm ground is getting bought up and it's getting subdivided. Some of it's getting subdivided down to, you know, a third of an acre lot. Some of it's getting subdivided down to five acre ranchettes and things like that. I've always theorized that if somebody with the initiative and the people skills and, and all of that could go out and they could approach these folks that have this land, they just want their little piece of space, but they don't necessarily want to farm it or they don't see the value in doing it, that somebody could compile a decent amount of acreage and actually start something pretty legitimate on other people's ground, especially in an area where all these bigger farms are getting broken down into these smaller subsets with all these different owners. And that is what you have been doing. And so that's what's so great about having you on is um, it is possible and there are other people out there like you who would like to farm, but they look at the overwhelming obstacles to entry, uh, the cost of ground, you know, all of this type of stuff, and they don't know how to get going and they don't know how to get started. But here you started when you were 12 and you were able to do this. Now, the natural thing that's going to come up from, from so many people is, right, you started when you were 12, you live at home, you had help from mom and dad. So the next question would be then, if you were to break this down, if, if you had to be as efficient as possible, because obviously mm-hmm. you're probably like me and you probably spend time out with your livestock just because you enjoy being out with your livestock. But if you were to break it down into the most efficient model possible, how many hours a day do you think you would realistically have to spend on your business in its current state to be able to farm as many sheep as you are? I think 45 minutes, half hour to an hour would be all that would be needed per day. And obviously that's going to fluctuate, right? When you Mm -hmm. first started, a lot more time needed to be invested. Yeah. But then once you get things set up, now all of a sudden it's livestock, they're fenced, it's irrigated, they're feeding themselves. And so there's a lot more time available in your day. Yeah. And obviously there's some fluctuation between the time of year as well. Um, Lambing time takes a little Mm -hmm. bit more time, but um, I think an hour a day would be reasonable. And for you, I mean, you're still at home. You just graduated high school Mm -hmm. uh, last spring. Congratulations, by the way. (laughs) Um, And we'll get more into that coming up. But it's not like you don't have other things to do, uh, right? You've got school full time. You've got debate. You've got all sorts of other activities that we'll get into. So you're a very busy person outside of your farming endeavors as well. Yes. All right. Well, I just, I wanted to address that because I really do think this is a way for somebody who truly wants to farm and be involved in agriculture to do it. And this is a great model, but 
even somebody after work could do this. Absolutely. All right. Now let's talk about your leases because that's interesting as well. So these first two leases you got, Mm -hmm. uh, you had a lot of improvement to do on this ground and you're still improving some of this ground. Is that right? Yes. So how do you draw up a lease with somebody if you're going to put all this time, energy, and money into their ground how do you make sure that you don't just get the ground up and going perfect and then they take it back? Yeah, so I think a couple of ways. So in my case, I was basically just looking at what can I do year by year and not necessarily planning a, as far into the future as, as some leases might plan. Mm-hmm. Um, so that would mean maybe not necessarily putting down tons of fertilizer, but just using the resources I had, grazing the sheep through the grass that was there mm-hmm. and maybe fertilizing enough for that year. And then just kind of building each year as the soil would, soil would improve. But I'd get the benefit out of having some increased grazing as well as some increased space for the animals. And then they would get the benefit of the land improving. And so that we never necessarily had like formal drawn up agreements. Um, it was more so just they were happy to have somebody else managed the mm-hmm. place and it worked out well just kind of a year by year not necessarily put in solid improvements but just kind of slowly improve it over time so there was some trust built in there yes. obviously because maybe the person you know life circumstances happen to people right mm-hmm. and so uh you could have put in all this work and time into a piece of ground and then maybe a life circumstance happens for this person and they sell their place yeah and the new owner says well i'm sorry we're, we want to put our own animals on it so there's <laughs> yes. a there's a bit of a risk there uh, the way you did it, but it, it has worked out in your case. Yes. And I think it works out depending on how much you're wanting to put into it. So like those first few years, I didn't really put a whole lot of monetary improvements in. It was basically just whatever the animals would improve. And so it was more so time on my part to manage the animals and manage the field for what they needed rather than necessarily putting in all the work that would maybe be needed into making it a 20 year long mm-hmm. productive pasture, but something that would work for a year or something that would work for several years for the agreements that were, that were in place for using it for a few years. So, okay. Yeah. And now in today, how many leases are you managing today? There's three. And that comes out to how many acres? That totals eight acres. In okay. It. Yeah. Eight acres plus the ground that you have at your your folks' place. Yes. Okay. So now you've gone from that initial one and a half acres to now about nine and a half acres mm-hmm. that you're managing. And what's the size of your sheep flock? Um, so I'm currently around 30 ewes and then three rams. So um, this spring, our, our total head count was about 75. Very cool. Now, uh, have you got to the point yet where... People are now approaching you and saying, hey, we were told you're the person to come to. We want somebody to do something with our land. There has been some some people asking for land improvements for sure. Maybe not necessarily leases, but they've seen the pasture improve and they're like, mm-hmm. well, can you replicate that here? And, you know, there's a number of different ways to pay for the use of land. Sometimes it's a cash rent. Sometimes it's a, it's a share of what's produced on that land. Sometimes people just say, hey, we want this to look better and we don't want to do any work on it. Mm-hmm. So they'll just trade your time and your improvement. How do you fund uh, your leases? Yeah, so most of it's been either like a crop sharing with the lamb or just that that labor and improvement into the place and kind of the just the standard upkeep that, that pasture and any property requires. And so when you go out, I, I'm assuming that at least the bulk of these leases, you've gone out and you've actually solicited the people and said, hey, I'd like to. I don't know if you use the word improve. Uh, that might sound <laughs> negative when you talk to him, but I'd like to 
I'd like to farm this ground for you and, and do this for it. When you do that, how do you approach people? So for everybody out there listening who might want to follow the model that you've, you've been following here, uh, when you knock on that door and you're trying to convince somebody that, hey, this would be a good deal for you for me to do this, what do you tell them? Yeah, so basically just kind of asking the neighbors if they had any plans for their pasture. Most of the people that I was talking to already knew them, at least somewhat, just from being neighbors. Mm -hmm. And so just ask them if they had plans, if they would be open to possibly letting me use their place um, for grazing and to to just kind of work on it and to use the pasture if they didn't have any plans for it. Okay. And then from there, we would obviously negotiate what, what would be fair. All right, well, let's take another break, and then when we come back, uh, let's talk more about what you've been selling and how that all looks. Things are heating up around here at D&B. You'll see why when you check out our wide selection of high-performance stoves from Harman, Quadrifier, and Heatalator EcoChoice. These classic pellet and wood-burning stoves light up your hearth and home. They give you even heat and easy maintenance with craftsmanship that stands the test of time and really stands out. So swing on by D&B Supply and see how Harman, Quadrifier, and Heatalator EcoChoice stoves can warm up your home. What's on the grill? That's the ultimate summertime question. And you can make the answer extra special with a wood-fired Traeger grill at D&B Supply. Pure hardwood is the fuel for Traeger's signature flavor. It lets you grill, smoke, baste, roast, braise, or barbecue hot and fast or low and slow with perfect results every time. Versatile, consistent, and convenient. With a Traeger, you just set it and forget it. Master the taste of summer and pick up your Traeger grill at your favorite DMB supply. Okay, well, Caleb, now that we're back, I want to ask you about the business side of what you've been doing. So you obviously started out and you had some advantages. I mean, you were 12 years old, so you're still living at home with mom and dad and they're helping you explore this interest that you had. But now it's been six years and things have developed. Uh, So today, your business, uh, is there a name for your business, a formal name? Yes, Good Shepherd Farm. Good Shepherd Farm. Okay, very good. And is it self-sufficient? Does it run on its own with its with its own revenue and no subsidies coming in from parents or anything like that now. Yes. Very good. So how has this happened? What turned in your business? How did you start generating revenue and make this happen? Yeah, so it kind of um, got to the point where just looking at getting better genetics was one of the original things, just looking at animals that were suited to the system that I was doing, sheep that were specifically designed more for a pasture environment. Mm-hmm. And so ones that would be productive for that type of system. And so once kind of got into that and got those genetics going and got really the to a level where I could sell and have a, a marketable amount of lambs, then that's kind of when it started taking off. Okay. And when this all started, we talked about that first lamb, that first weather that you sold mm-hmm. and trying to replicate this. How did you go about marketing your animals and, and finding new customers? Yeah. So originally it was just word of mouth, talking to other people about my lamb products that I had available and just kind of talking to them about the benefits of the lamb and just trying to grow it that way. And then after a certain point, kind of wanted to really grow and expand a lot and was able to expand the flock to the point where I had extra meat lambs available. And so then I went to the farmer's market and started marketing there. And then I I would typically sell out with everything I had relatively quickly. Um, Sometimes some products would go within an hour of having them available. And so I didn't really have necessarily the supply, but definitely had the demand. And then after that point, it was a little bit more word of mouth. And then I'm now currently supplying an online meat co-op. Is that right? Yeah. So what made you choose to 
go to the farmer's market. Obviously, that's uh, a bigger commitment. Mm -hmm. There's an expense associated with that. So what made you want to go and be in that place to market your lamb? Yeah, so there was a couple things. One of them was I I love to talk about my animals and my sheep. And so it's kind of fun to get to talk to customers. Also, the just the general larger size of a market that you have with the farmer's market, a little bit more people that you can market to. And so in trying to grow, kind of using that that Mm -hmm. market base that was already there. And then... Also, it was kind of neat looking at the prices. Definitely a little bit higher price point at the farmer's market, mm-hmm. which kind of reflects the extra expense that goes into sure. having the farmer's market. But yeah, so those were kind of the three main areas that made me want to go into the farmer's market. So prior to the farmer's market, were you contracting with customers and essentially finishing out the lamb and then delivering the lamb to the butcher for them and then they would pick it up from the butcher? Is that the model you were using? Yes. Okay. So there was a big shift there, both in legality and logistics when you decided to go to the farmer's market, Mm -hmm. uh, for example, with the butcher. Yeah. So if you're going to retail cuts of meat, you have to have it a different inspection done when they're being butchered. Is that correct? Yes. Okay. Tell us about that. Did you have to change butchers? Yeah. So we had to change butchers and use a USDA inspected butcher. And so we switched to using that butcher and have really appreciated the ability to sell the cuts. Mm -hmm. It it makes it a little more flexible. But also one thing that we've found too is that sometimes obviously you have a large variance in finishing percentage. And so in order to make it the most fair to our customers, we've switched from a live weight to actually, we just take the, even if we're selling a whole lamb, we take the total pounds of meat from that lamb Mm -hmm. and then sell it for our standard price just because we were finding some lambs obviously would have a whole lot more muscle and you would get a lot higher finishing percentage out Mm -hmm. of that certain poundage um, or dollars per pound on the hoof. And so in order to make it more fair, we've kind of switched to that retail cut model. So like, did you have a flat rate per lamb before you started doing this? Is is that how it was? Um, So there was that a little bit in the very beginning. And then we switched to just a certain poundage on the hoof and measuring on the scale. Okay. Um, So I think... So a live weight. Yes. And then then we switched to hanging weight. Mm -hmm. And then we finally switched to actual processed meat. Oh, okay. So you went even further than just hanging weight and now Mm -hmm. to the actual meat. Once everything is processed. Yes. Now, as you made this transition to selling cuts of meat, you have to, I would assume, upgrade equipment or did you already have freezer space to be able to store your inventory? Um, So we had the freezer space, added a little bit of freezer space in order to be able to accommodate that. But for the most part, we had the freezer space and there were kind of two benefits. One, we would sell out so fast that we would just have them processed for example, the weekend before mm-hmm. the farmer's market, and then we'd typically sell out. So we would only have to keep maybe one or two lambs in the freezer, which isn't really a whole lot of space that we have to keep. And then also, as far as holes and halves, we would have them pick it up from the butcher. We would just total mm-hmm. the, the final pounds of processed meat. So how, how did you manage that? Your lambing season is when? We lamb in April and May. April and May. So then... When would you be able to start selling lamb at the farmer's market? So yeah, with that model, we would typically start around October, November. So there were a couple of things. So for the spring, we would start with lamb, either that we'd overwintered as a whole animal and live, or that we had processed in the fall and just Mm -hmm. kept it over in the freezer. And so that's kind of how we did that. And then we were also lambing some earlier. We've since switched that to all in one time, or I guess two two lambing times, Mm -hmm. but Before then, we kind of had them spread out across every month, which certainly made management a little bit more tricky. Yeah, no kidding. (laughs) So you were actually lambing every month? Yes. Oh, wow. Um, From about end of January through May, so... 
Interesting. So you were doing that so you would have a consistent lamb to butcher on a monthly basis mm-hmm. to go and fulfill the demand at the farmer's market. Yeah. But you've come up with a way to mitigate that and you don't have to do that any longer. Yes. So you do that based on starting sales in the fall mm-hmm. when when animals are finished and they're ready to be butchered. Yes. Now, are you butchering one every week or a couple every week to fulfill your supply at the farmer's market? Or is everything getting butchered at once and you're just storing all the cuts in the in the freezer and then taking what you think you need to the farmer's market? Yeah, so what we switch to now is just having them all be butchered at once. As currently, we're not selling at the farmer's market through selling through an online co-op. And so the plan is to start the farmer's market here within about a year. And so the plan is to maybe have two butchering times, but basically the same thing, just kind of figuring out about what we need for the farmer's market and bring that down there and store the rest in the freezer. Well, let's take our final break. When we come back, I want to talk about another transition you're making in your farming endeavors. Carhartt makes gear to get you through anything. So D&B Supply offers a wide selection to outfit any day, any task, and any weather. Built to stand the test of time and have your back no matter what comes your way, Carhartt clothing keeps you comfortable all day long. And for extra hard jobs, check out Carhartt Force, the line that wicks sweat, fights odors, releases stains, and works as hard as you do. To outlast them all, get decked out in Carhartt at D&B. When it comes to legendary performance, only a few chainsaws make the cut, like the Husqvarna lineup available at D&B. Years of razor-sharp research led to many of Husqvarna's breakthrough technologies, including anti-vibration dampeners to reduce the impact on your arms and hands, plus a combined choke and stop control that makes the chainsaw easier to start. When you have your work cut out for you, get her done with a Husqvarna. Pick up one at your favorite D&B supply. All right, Caleb. Well, I can't believe it. We're already to our last segment, but I wanted to ask you, I know you're in the midst of, or you have already transitioned again uh, since you transitioned from selling direct to going to the farmer's market and trying that. Now you've transitioned again. What does your business model today look like? Yeah, so we're selling basically a lot of quality breeding stock, and then we're also selling the lower quality as meat. So those that maybe don't have the growth rates or those that maybe aren't as prolific, selling those for more meat production, and then the quality breeding stock we're selling as breeding stock. And not to confuse it, you're not saying low quality meat. Yes. You're saying what the the phenotypical and the genetics that you're looking at in these animals, uh, the ones that don't make the cut for you want wanting to use them as breeding stock, they become meat production animals. Yeah. So like sometimes we'll have maybe a set of twins uh-huh. and they're basically exactly the same, except one of them grows a little bit faster. Mm-hmm. That's the one we're going to sell for breeding stock. The other one maybe won't necessarily make that list. Now, what made you want to get involved in, I guess, something beyond the commercial aspect of this into the breeding stock? Yeah. So kind of as I researched more, I just became really fascinated with genetics and all of that goes into that. And so I've always kind of really enjoyed that side of the the breeding side of the animals. And so just looking at kind of growing that and really have kind of been looking at what are the major challenges to the sheep industry today mm-hmm. and how do we solve those? And so genetics is definitely a big way I think that, that can be solved. Now, in terms of this transition to selling also breeding stock, how does that impact your business model? Is it is it a step back in terms of revenue? Is it equal? Is it better? How does that all come into play when you're first starting this out? 
Yeah, it's probably a little bit better even just selling registered stock. And so there's obviously a lot more expenses that come with that Mm -hmm. in producing estimated breeding values and registration paperwork and a lot more record keeping that has to take place. But you get a higher price point for that additional record keeping. And so there's been a little bit increased revenue that we've seen selling breeding stock. But there's more that goes into it as well. You got to keep up with all the registration information and, mm-hmm. and, and the breed association and all of that type of stuff, right? Yes. Okay. Very good. Now, you mentioned improving genetics and uh, everything that goes into that. You're getting really deep into the sheep industry. Uh, with some things that are going on there to try and improve it as a whole. What are those that you're doing? Yeah, so one of the major ones is the estimated breeding values. So we can measure traits by using a scale for weaning weight, for post-weaning weight. We can measure milk production with that. We can measure birth weight. And then also we keep track of number of lambs born, number of lambs weaned. And then that helps us to calculate pounds of lamb weaned per ewe. And then we're also looking at parasite resistance, so weaning fecal egg count, post-weaning fecal egg count. And then next year, we're going to start ultrasound scanning all our lambs for back fat and muscle depth. So gives us a lot of information on each lamb, but it helps us to kind of pick the best ones specifically for each producer. Well, it's amazing to see how far you've come. I've, I feel like it's been a special to kind of have a window seat to watch this journey for you uh, going along. Now, uh, we've talked all about what you're doing farming-wise, but I mean, here you are. You're very accomplished already as a farmer, but you're just 18 years old. So you just finished with high school uh, in terms of your education and the rest of your life outside of farming What's that look like now? Yeah, so within probably about a year, I'll finish my bachelor's degree in business administration, the dual focus in entrepreneurship and communications. So for everybody out there listening who is like, oh yeah, well he lives at home and he farms and this and that. Uh, No, during high school, you also completed 97 college credits to get you to where you're almost ready to graduate already. Yes. Wow. So you did all that. Was it online? I mean, how did you do all that? Yeah. So it was online and then taking CLEP tests kind of. um, So like when I'd finish a high school course, Mm -hmm. kind of research the additional areas that the college course would cover and then take the test and and get college credit and and then taking some dual enrollment classes for some business classes and all of that. Wow. Really cool. Now, I don't expect you to have an answer for this yet, but if you do, I'd be fascinated to hear it. You're going to be majoring in business administration. You're going to have an emphasis on entrepreneurship. What do you have in mind? How did you choose your major? How did you choose business administration and entrepreneurship? And where do you, at least at this point, where do you see all of this taking you? Yeah. So I'd like to continue growing the sheep business. um, And ideally, would, would love to do that full time, but there's obviously a lot of challenges to that, especially mm-hmm. with land cost. And so I would kind of like to get into agribusiness and maybe work in that field. I also really enjoy the legislative side of what we see in our state. And so I um, would like to be involved there. Not sure how much or when that would be, but okay. um, certainly enjoying the business side of agriculture. And so I picked kind of that degree to get kind of a broad um, look at at business and uh, more of that narrow entrepreneurship and communications to kind of get a little bit more detailed in marketing and how to run my own business. And then as well as there's considering perhaps going on to doing law school, not sure because I enjoy that legal side of things and communication, but the business administration was, I, I picked that primarily to give me a broad focus, kind of an overview of business and where I was planning headed. And then the specifics to kind of give me a little bit more information. Well, I don't want to gloss over the fact that you're going to be 19 years old with a bachelor's degree. Uh, So you're going to have the degree, 
but you're going to be 19. So at that point, are you going to go out and start looking for a career type position, keep farming and, and take something different, continue with school, or are these decisions all still being made? Yeah. So the plan is probably we'll go out, kind of look for a job, ideally in agribusiness and kind of look for a career job. And then obviously we'll hopefully keep the sheep business running on the side. So, Well, I mean, with your situation, uh, you don't own the land, but you're certainly able to use it and farm on it. Yeah. And that gives you a lot of advantages in certain ways, especially when it comes to economics. I, I love the model, and uh, it's been a pleasure getting to, to visit with you again and kind of see how this has all progressed. And uh, thank you so much for coming on and doing this today, Caleb. Thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. Thank you all for joining us today, and here is to you and your pursuit of the country lifestyle, however you define it. For the DNB Show, I'm Matt Breckwald.